0: Today we're reading Numbers chapters 23 through 25. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We continue a storyline which we began in Numbers chapter 22 concerning Balaam. Verse 1, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. And God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There a people dwell alone, not reckoning itself among the nations." Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, you shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all curse them for me from there so he brought him to the field of zophim to the top of pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar and he said to balak stand here by your burnt offering while i meet with the lord over there then the lord met balaam and put a word in his mouth and said go back to balak and thus you shall speak So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, "'What has the Lord spoken?' Then he took up his oracle and said, "'Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good?' Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, O what God has done." Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Pur that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Well, as I mentioned, we first saw Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. Now, make no mistake about it, Balaam was a pagan Midianite prophet. Yet, the passage indisputably identifies the Lord, being Jehovah or Yahweh, as the one who had put the words into Balaam's mouth. That's in Numbers chapter 23, verse 5, 12, 16, 17, and 26. And then we find it again in Numbers chapter 24. We're not there yet. Uh, Verses 2, 13, and 16. So here's the rub. Balak, who's the Moabite king, he'd called Balaam to come curse Israel. But God told Balaam it was okay to go. In verse 20 of chapter 22, Balak gives Balaam the tour around the encampment of Israel. For some reason, he apparently thought that different views of Israel's encampment might just do the trick. At two locations, Balaam directs Balak to sacrifice on seven altars prepared specifically for the tour. At each altar, God gives a word to Balaam. That's in verses 4 and 16. But those words are in favor of Israel. God just won't let Balaam place a curse on Israel. Balaam declares in Numbers chapter 23, verse 8, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Well, things really backfire on Balaam when Balaam declares in Numbers chapter 23, verse 20. He says, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Well, the next verse is key to the final outcome, as we'll see when we get over to Numbers chapter 25. Because verse 21 here says, He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Now, let's face it. Israel's righteous before God as a nation, and they can't be cursed. Finally, Balaam, for some unknown reason, he has Balak build seven more altars for seven more sacrifices a third time as they overlook Israel. Perhaps Balaam is hoping that this additional reverend act somehow might do something, anything. But then the curse Israel plan derails in Numbers chapter 24, verse 1. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam the son of Beor... The utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agog, and his kingdom shall be exalted." God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. Then Balak's anger was roused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying... If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now, indeed, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days." So he took up his oracle and said the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor and the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the most high, who sees the vision of the almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seer also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless Cain shall be burned, How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. Well, Balaam here forgets his mission altogether in this chapter, and he begins blessing, not cursing Israel. Verse 7 kind of curious here. There's the mention of Agog, king over the Amalekites during the reign of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Wow, now that's a prophecy with substance. Uh, look that up in 1 Samuel chapter 15. You'll see what I mean. Balak immediately notices that things are going backwards here. Balaam falls into a prophetic state where he just begins to rattle off the blessing which shall fall upon Israel, much to Balak's dismay. Balaam's words of blessing on Israel become intolerable in verse 9 when he says, He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Whoa! Now, that sounds very much like God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Finally, Balak has had all he can take in verse 10, where it says, Then Balak's anger was roused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Well, here's the case where a man, Balak, Hires a contractor, Balaam, to do a job. That job was to curse Israel. But he can't satisfactorily do the job, so Balak fires him without pay right there on the spot. Balaam now enters the bonus round. He becomes a prophesying machine, but not in favor of Balak. As a matter of fact, against Balak and in favor of Israel. He falls into a trance, begins to give more prophecy concerning the demise of all these heathen occupants of the region. So who is going to fall before Israel? Well, here's the list, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, the Kenites. Now, verse 22 is a little curious. Though a few hundred years in the future, Balaam here also prophesies the demise and deportation of these nations to Assyria, here called Asher. That's a process which would not begin for another six centuries. We see it in 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 27 to 31. Now, it may seem that everything has worked out marvelously for Israel with regard to Balak's service contract with Balaam, but not so. There's a twist, and we'll see that twist in Numbers chapter 25. Now, keep in mind, although it may not seem related at this point, Numbers 25 is related to the Balaam-Balak connection, verse 1. Now, Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They had invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were twenty-four thousand. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Benehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel." Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was caused by the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them. For they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the manner of Peor and in the manner of Cosbi, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Well, now this is a strange chapter. It seems a little disjointed at first and doesn't seem to have any relationship to chapters 22 through 24. However, It turns out that chapter 25 has everything to do with chapters 22 through 24. We won't actually see it till we get to Numbers chapter 31 verse 16. But according to that verse, the events of chapter 25 are instigated by Balaam himself as a device to corrupt Israel so that God himself will curse them. See, I told you that Balaam was a pagan prophet. I told you that in Numbers chapter 23, verse 21, that that was the key. What if Israel wasn't righteous before God? Remember that? What if Israel wasn't righteous before God? Then could they be cursed? Well, in this chapter, Balaam, he's devised a strategy designed to bring down the wrath of God upon Israel. Numbers 25 gets ugly. The men of Israel head for Las Vegas, so to speak just outside their motels, their temporary quarters, in a place called Acacia Grove. These Hebrew men indulge in sexual relations with the heathen women there and take in a few shows while they're at it. Well, actually, they bow down to their gods, the gods of Baal. Ooh, that's idolatry. Isn't it amazing what a seductive woman can get some men to do? Well, at this point, God tells Moses to have these idol worshippers slain and their heads hung up in the sun for all the rest of Israel to see. That's in verses 3 and 4. It would appear that the subsequent decree issued to the judges of Israel doesn't get completed before this dreadful situation intensifies. It intensifies to the point where there's just no shame. One man actually brings the promiscuous gal back to the camp of Israel. Well, Aaron's grandson, Phinehas, he takes some pretty drastic measures at this point. He takes his javelin, and kills the Hebrew man. His name was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader among the Simeonites. And the woman with the same javelin, same throw, as a matter of fact, we're told that she was the daughter of an influential Midianite leader. Her name is given as Kosbai. And that was after God had told Moses to behead the Hebrew idolaters and display their heads. This is followed by a plague that kills 23,000 more. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8 makes mention of this occasion. While not specifically stated that there had been 1,000 heads hung in the sun prior to the plague, based upon Paul's number of 24,000, we assume that to be the case. Well, God really doesn't like idolatry, does he? Now, a covenant was established that day regarding Eleazar's son Phinehas. Because of his actions, which may have seemed compulsive at the time, he and his descendants were awarded the priesthood from that time forward. We see that in verses 10 through 13. Note the promise of verse 13. It says, And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Furthermore, this action of Phinehas became noteworthy in Israel's history. Hundreds of years later, he's mentioned along with this incident In Psalm 106, verses 30 and 31, here's what those verses say. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Well, despite this prophecy, there was a period of time where the priesthood was not controlled by a descendant of Phinehas. Eli, during the period of the judges later on, he was not a descendant of Phinehas. However, we see in 1st Samuel chapter 2 verses 27 to 36 that the priesthood through his lineage would be cut off, and in fact it was. This transfer would take place later under Solomon's authority as a fulfillment of this prophecy, and that takes place over in 1st Kings chapter 2 verse 27 and verse 35. So where Balaam was not able to prophesy against Israel, he was able to go back to the Moabites and plot Israel's corruption by using their women as prostitutes to lure Israel's men into idolatry. What a plan. So just in case you started liking Balaam as he was giving his pro-Israel prophecies, uh, don't get too excited. He just turned out to be another evil man who seemed to have had a short period of favor with God. In the end, he was just an evil man. And the Midianites, well, they incurred some judgment from God as well because these women were not ordinary prostitutes. As a matter of fact, we see in verse 15 that the slain woman caused by, well, she was the daughter of an influential Midianite leader, Zor. Yes, this was an orchestrated plan designed by Balaam for the destruction of the Israelites by the Moabites and Midianites, and it almost seemed to work. God's command that Israel take vengeance on the Midianites for their part in the apostasy of Baal of Peor is realized in the continuation of this account in Numbers chapter 31. That's where we find the completion of these events that have centered around Balaam in chapters 22 through 25. Chapter 26 through 30 are not really related to these events at all. Incidentally, I'm certain that Satan today creates circumstances around believers that are conducive to sin. While he can't steal a believer's salvation, here's what he can do. He can place people and things around that believer that many times serve to steal his joy and soften his resolve to serve God first and foremost in his life. I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what that verse says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then there's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Here's what those two verses say. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan is still at work today.